You're listening to the School of Reinvention podcast. I'm your host, Roger Osorio. I'm the author of The Journey to Reinvention, How to Build a Life Aligned with Your Values, Passion, and Purpose. I'm also the founder of The School of Reinvention, a community-based coaching platform where we help people define success on their terms and reinvent themselves to make it happen. I believe that as the years pass, our values, passions, and purpose evolve, and we must reinvent ourselves in order to stay aligned with who we really are and what matters to us. This podcast is all about exploring different journeys to reinvention so that you can learn the strategies for how to successfully launch your next reinvention. Hi, everyone. Welcome back to the School of Reinvention podcast. I am your host, Roger Osorio. I'm a reinvention coach, speaker, and author of the book, The Journey to Reinvention, How to Build a Life Aligned with Your Values, Passions, and Purpose. I'm excited to be talking to Lisa DeAngelis today, who is a holistic change practitioner, teacher, speaker, and most recently, an author of her own. She published the book, Embracing the Unknown, Exploring the Pathways to Change. When I read that title, I knew I need to talk to her. (laughs) So (laughs) her vibrant, dynamic personality and broad array of professional experiences really inform her intuitive approach to doing life. Lisa is certified as a teacher of the Alexander Technique and brings a warm, thoughtful, and creative demeanor to driving change and transformation. Working with individuals through the meaningful intersections of their lives is an integral part of her mission, and her book is inspired by her own unfolding journey and ongoing desire to empower others in navigating their own change. She is passionate about building meaningful relationships and helping others live authentically. Lisa and I connected because of our publishing house that we are both a part of. My wife and I attended her book launch event in the city, and after learning more about the book, like I said, I knew that I had to have her on this show. Lisa, thank you so much for making some time to share your thoughts, your insights, your lessons learned along your own journey to reinvention. Let's start off by just tell us a little bit about how it feels to successfully navigate the journey to becoming a published author. Thank you. Thanks for that warm introduction. I'm really, really excited to be here, Roger. You know, this this whole concept, I think for me, what does it feel like to become a published author speaks to this, this question of what do we do when we've done the thing we've always wanted to do, right? This has been lodged in the back of my mind, started as a little seed a long time ago. And I always felt like maybe I had a book in me to write, but it was one of those situations of what's the right topic? What's the right time? How does one even begin to write a book? And the whole process, every time I would sit down to approach it, just felt a little daunting, a little too big, a little too all of it. So through a series of events and things that were going on in my life, all of the pieces finally aligned and all of the opportunities came together. And I decided to to take what was available, jump in, and here we are now. So it feels equally surreal (laughs) and equally like it was waiting forever to happen. And I'm so, so, so pleased that that moment feels like it's finally here. I do have to say, I really went into the process thinking, okay, this is going to be a big project to write a book, right? And now I am realizing that writing the book was just the first step. (laughs) It was a lot of hard work. There was a lot going on, but there is so much more. It's just the first literal and figurative chapter in what happens in the process of becoming a published author, because the book is just one piece of that. Becoming a published author is really about shaping the voice of who you are when you speak to the world and how you choose to communicate that. And I think that is one of the most exciting and powerful things that maybe I wasn't totally prepared for when I thought to myself, I should write a book. (laughs) I absolutely love that. And I totally agree. You know, we went through the same process. And so, uh, you know, one of the key takeaways I had in just my own experience was, wow, like I thought I would only ever write one book in my life. And I thought that was a pretty big stretch goal. And it sounds like to some extent, you you know, you're agreeing with (laughs) me here. So you feel the same. And then we learn the process of how to do it. We learn the recipe for how to write a book. And all of a sudden I realize there's a minimum of 10 books in me. It's just a matter of when I release all of them and produce and release all of them. Like that's really it. 
but it's it's so empowering and you're right about finding your voice and really figuring out how to communicate effectively it's there are way more books in in any in anyone and of course it's it's not a project for everyone because you may, you may not be interested in that project maybe you communicate better through another format and that's cool too in our case you know we chose books and yeah i totally hear you so i i, I love that you shared that and i totally agree also with that surreal feeling you know you're, you're wait is this really happening am i an author <laughs> am i a published author <laughs> like is this has this already happened and well, it did. I was there for your launch event, so I know it happened. I was just gonna say you were really there in the thick of it, which I'm I'm so appreciative of. I I will just add to this whole process that um, it's a mantra of the program that we went through in our writing and publishing process. But it really is not a, something you do alone. It, it requires community. It requires support, as so many things in the world do, but in a very specific way and in a very special brand of community and support. It requires really a lot of resources. And at first, that was a little bit unnerving for me. I, I felt myself in this scarcity mode of, I can't share what my title is going to be. Maybe someone else will write a book like this. Or, you know, I can't talk about what I'm going to do before I really know how it's going to end up. But the reality of the situation is we are always a work in progress. Mm -hmm. So this process of creating anything, whether it's a, a choice in our lives or a specific product like a book. It's really about um, getting people involved so you can get clearer on who you are and what you want. So that was a huge part of it for me. And, you know, you being there for the launch was representative of what it meant to have other authors supporting authors, because mm -hmm. in reality, we all build each other up when we celebrate each other. And that's yeah. a huge thing to remember and it, I think encourage in the world around us. Yeah, I, I love that you mentioned the community part of it and being uh, on a journey with other authors who are going through the same thing. You know, we all lifted each other up. And your point also about, you know, there's hesitancy at times to share what we're working on or share this idea for fear that someone might take it and run with it or whatever might they might do with it. Or maybe even just judge it early and you're not even sure what it is yet and you're afraid to have it judged so early on. But it was actually that action, telling people about it sooner rather than later that helped us move along that journey. You know, I think back to the original concept for my book, it was different. The title was different. The concept was a little bit different. The target reader was different. And when it was all done, I thought, wow, this changed a lot. And so, you know, it all started because I, I declared something up front. <laughs> so I'm not the only one. Yes, I had a different title, a slightly different angle. Yeah. I think I feel like that's a whole nother podcast conversation is yeah, right? know, how how a book writes itself, really, how it yes. comes to life. And it does have a, a mind of its own. <laughs> yeah, you're right. And that it definitely is a conversation of its own, because there, <laughs> that was quite the journey. We learned a lot. So let's move into your story, because that's why we're here sure. to talk about you and talk, learn about your story and what you know, and, and gather some insights and actions that we could take along on our own journey to reinvention. So I, I want to hear about your journey to reinvention because you've had quite the journey to reinvention. You've made many stops along the way, you know, pretty mm -hmm. much right out of university. I think it sounds like you were already like making twists and turns along your journey. Kind of give us that high level. Cause I love the way you broke it down when we had our prep call, you just went boom, 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 boom. And I was like, <laughs> Oh my God, those are like so many interesting and cool stops you've made. I don't, like just hearing it the first time you're thinking, I'm not even sure what the connection is there, but that's kind of the point. And I love that we're going to get into like why that is the point that those things don't have to be connected for them to produce something outstanding later. Absolutely. Thank you. And it's such a gift to be able to talk about this for a while. It felt like a little bit of a dark secret to talk about not having a straight career path or a straight um, job situation. And it's, it's ended up being for me what I, what I consider some of my biggest strengths. So my background was in music. I was a classically trained singer. I did my undergraduate in music education uh, with a focus on classical voice. And I, I sang opera. I performed and I did all of that. And after I graduated, I, I received my, my teaching certification, but it wasn't where I felt pulled. And so I did want to stay in music. I did want to keep teaching. And I had the opportunity to work in early childhood music education. And I worked at a, a pre-K school. So I actually started working with babies as young as six weeks old. They could start at the daycare school. And they had music a couple times a week. And this was, this was mind-blowing for me. I mean, they, they weren't really fully aware of what was going on for a little bit of time. But to give them that introduction to something so foundational to so many areas of life, I've 
always been passionate about the arts was a huge thing. So I taught at that daycare school for a number of years while working at a restaurant <laughs> to, to give myself a little bit of income coming in. And as I like to joke with people, both of those gave me different opportunities to learn what it was like to be on the floor, literally and figuratively, whether crawling around with kids or working on a restaurant floor so I could really gauge what it meant to see what the needs were of people at any given time. From there, I started training as a teacher of the Alexander Technique. The Alexander Technique is a holistic change method that focuses on the way we use our bodies and improving the way we use our bodies um, and the choices that we make so that we can enhance whatever area of life we live or work in. And I felt very, very passionate about that. But when I moved to a new city, it wasn't enough to keep, <laughs> keep the lights on, so to speak. So I got a job working in commercial real estate, <laughs> as one does. Um, it was through a connection. I didn't have experience in the field, but I showed up with the spirit of, I've got some skills that I think I can offer, and I'm a really quick learner. They took a chance on me. I jumped in. I spent six years working there and then ended up getting a job as a house manager and uh, work for a private family and a private family office now. I guess I forgot one of the stops along the way, which is a pretty interesting and fun one. I worked as a live-in nanny while I was also training in my holistic change certification. And that was fascinating. I, I literally worked with a family really intimately as they were traveling, performing, they were musicians. And it was an amazing way to just deepen my skill sets. Each one of these stops along the way just kind of pulled out different threads of things that I really enjoyed. And every time I felt pulled a little bit towards moving in another direction, I would say, what about that did I really like and how can I take it into the next step? And that's sort of what drove me to where I am today. And the book thing, as I mentioned before, that was a seed that had been planted a long time ago. And all of that came together through really through the pandemic and through opportunities over the last year and a half. So just kind of taking things as they come. <laughs> yeah. I, I, lo I love a lot of things you said there. Uh, you know, one of the key ideas is that you, well, one, so one of the things I, I talk a lot about is this idea of projects as the fundamental building blocks to reinvention. And if you look at any great reinvention, it all started with a project, however small, but it was a project. <clears throat> and each of these stops for you was a project of sorts. And it was an opportunity mm -hmm. for you. One of the things I heard you say, you discovered like things you enjoyed along the way. And so for me, that means that you were learning about yourself. You were discovering yourself. You were discovering your passions, your interests, your values, your purpose along the way by going through those. You mentioned how you picked up really interesting skills, for instance, while working at the restaurant. You know, some people might say, oh, it's just the thing you do to make some extra cash. And yes, it's a thing you do to make some extra cash. However, you took more from that experience. You took that as an opportunity mm -hmm. to say like, you know, how do I learn to work the floor? How do I learn to work a room and mm -hmm. just be mindful of all the things happening? Such a valuable skill in almost anything that we can do in life, right? When we want to bring cool productions like a book to life, you got to have your eye on a lot of things. And well, you've had your eye on a lot of things because of that job. <laughs> and of course, I love what you said about, you know, literally being on the floor with kids, you know? So <laughs> whether it was standing up and walking the floor or crawling on the floor, you had that experience and you saw those as opportunities to pick up skills, experiences, outcomes, results, discover more about yourself along each of those stops that you had. Let's go into some of the transitions, right? So now we mm -hmm. kind of have the, the high level points, these stops, these major stops along your journey. Tell us mm -hmm. about, let's see, because there's so much I can ask you about here. Um, I, <laughs> I want to he hear about, well, what came first? You started training in the Alexander Method, and then you did commercial real estate to make some extra money while you were like to fund yourself while you were doing that. So, yep. so I want to go to the Alexander Method because this is an interesting stop on your journey. You made a very intentional decision to learn a new skill. You, you and, mm -hmm. and that's an investment of your time, your effort, your money, all that to learn this new skill because you believed it was going to probably move you along your journey. Tell us about making that decision. How did you arrive at that? Like, just give us the, the story there. Um, how do you get to this point where you say, I'm going to go train in this and I'm going to go find the class? Yes, thank you. That's a great little pit stop, we'll call it, on this, <laughs> this bigger, bigger journey that is absolutely still in progress. Let's be very clear. I'm not, I'm nowhere near done. 
so that is a really funny story that is, it, it's multifaceted really. So at 18, as a young singer, I was starting to have some jaw problems and I saw a specialist who told me at the age of 18 that I needed to have reconstructive jaw surgery, which at 18 felt like it was life stopping, life altering in a way that was really going to change the course of things. And it was not something that I was interested in doing. But because I didn't get the surgery, I was still searching for a way to deal with the challenges I was facing. And I found a practitioner, a teacher of the Alexander Technique. And I joke with people to this day because I went to go see her for some of these lessons. And much to my chagrin, she didn't do anything with my jaw. And I'm sitting there thinking, you're not even listening to me. My jaw is the problem. Little did I know it was not actually the problem. It was just the symptom that was speaking loudest. And so I realized through the course of our work together that it is not always what's talking on the the highest level. It's not always the symptom that we actually need to look into more. And as I dug into this, there were principles of this work, the Alexander Technique, that informed the entire way that I viewed the world, that gave me choice, that gave me freedom of choice and allowed me to move forward with more opportunity. And I thought, okay, I've got to invest in this. And the training program that I did to to get my certification to teach this technique was actually a 1,600-hour hands-on training program over three years. So it's basically like doing a master's degree in conscious change, if we want to call it that, conscious change. And it became foundational for the way I approached anything and everything in life. So it created an absolutely new baseline in how I was able to make so many of these shifts. So yes, when I then made a geographical move to a new city. I knew I needed to have a job to get me get me started and really have a, a solid financial foundation under my feet. And I had this opportunity in commercial real estate. And now on the surface, I could have just said, oh gosh, this isn't even in my wheelhouse. There's no way I can do this. But I just sat there and I went, okay, this could be something. And I may not have worked in commercial real estate before, but what have I done that could be valuable here? And I think back, I'm a musician. We are no stranger to collaboration, communication, organized structure, practicing, (laughs) dealing with people, reading our environment. And that's what I led with. I just really moved all of this forward. And I said, in me, you will have someone who can offer you this. And I do know and believe very wholeheartedly that the intentionality that I had really learned to embody, literally and figuratively, is what allowed me to walk into that space saying, this is who I am. This is what I bring to the table. Let's find a way to build an opportunity for both of us. And that's what happened. It was a great experience. I was there for six years. I didn't intend that at all when I started, but I was open to those possibilities. Wow. Okay. There's so many insights here. So, I, and I tried to capture as many as I could. I'll probably miss a couple here. Um, so whoever's listening, just rewind a little bit if I miss something. But there's a couple of things here that I, I want to lift up. One is you asked a really powerful question, an, an incredibly a- and empowering question mm. and it, around real estate. You asked, what have I done that can be valuable here? Mm-hmm. And I think that is such an important question. And I love the way you worded that. Because it's one of the things actually I talk about in my book as well, this idea that reinvention never starts from scratch, that we can always bring something from our journey into the new space. And and actually, I feel like because we've not been in that space and we have not been classically trained in that space, commercial real estate or whatever it might be, we will definitely be bringing something to the party that no one else in that space is probably bringing to the party. You brought music, you brought like what you learned in the music world to that. And chances are the majority of commercial real estate people probably did not come from that. And so that right there sets you apart. It by what I argue is that that buys you time in the field Mm. because it makes you interesting. And people are like, Ooh, that's interesting. That's new. She's, she's like, there's something about her that is different than all of us. (laughs) And so of course you're the new shiny thing. So no one's going to like, you know, kick you out right away. They're kind of like, oh, we want to like hang on to you for a little bit as long as you make the most of that time to then catch up and learn all the things you need to learn. I mean, it's like, there, there it is. It's it's your way in. Comment on that. Like, what, what are your thoughts about like how you got that in, and that question that you asked? Thank you for, for pulling that out. I think so much more often it's about the questions that arise than the answers we're seeking. And we're such an answer-driven 
world <laughs> culture. We want the quick fix. We want the answer. We want the end result, how it's going to look, and we want it to stay there. But that is just not how change works. It's just not how the flow works. We're constantly different people. Every interaction we have changes us just a little bit. Some changes are much more substantial than others, but we're constantly in flow. And this idea of being able to restart or being able to choose something, I think is so important about what valuable can I bring to the table or what can I bring to this opportunity. It's not that I have to figure out how to keep everything going in one straight line. I can choose at any point to say, this is a new starting point. And I think it's something we forget to do because we're just so busy seeing our, ourselves on a continuum that we forget to say, I can begin, I can end, I can choose, I can stay in this fun space coasting along for a little bit. But we, we forget we have the ability, we have the autonomy, we have the choice to just really claim who we are. It may not be the same person who we were six months ago or years ago, but really not shying away from that and saying, this is who I am. This is what I want to do. It may not make sense on the outside, but it really means something. So where can I, yeah, where is that fit between sort of value and opportunity? And I think that's a really, really key intersection when we're talking there is just to say, where can I bring value and where is there an opportunity and how do I want to use it? You know, you said something in there. You said every interaction and experience changes us a little bit. Mm -hmm. And that, I think, is also a powerful idea along any reinvention, a uh, journey to reinvention. You know, when, when you talked about yours at a high level, all the stops that you've made along your journey, every one of those major moments and all the sub moments within each of those, you know, changes you and, and helps you become a little bit more unique, a little bit more different and brings other, it helps you develop different superpowers that others don't have, which then of course, when you ask a question like, what have I done that could be valuable here? Boom. You're like, wow, a lot. I, I've, you know, if you have embraced those kinds of journeys, if you have embraced even the one stop you might be in, because some people listening to this might have been in one career, their entire career, they've been in one job or one role or whatever it is, that's fine. But even that experience has many sub experiences, has many little things that have happened every single day was probably just a little bit different. And those moments, to your point, those interactions and those experiences changed you a little bit. And so now when you're moving into the next chapter, as scary as it might be, as you're thinking about, but how could I ever contribute in this new field? You can ask yourself this empowering question, what have I done that could be valuable here? And when you ask that question, you're gonna find an answer. You know, as long as that's the question you ask yourself, you will go find that answer. And then boom, now you've got something to bring to the new party. Totally. I love the way you just said that. And, you know, one of the things that came to mind is, yes, this idea of you do not have to jump industries. You do not have to completely <laughs> change careers. Reinvention does not always mean complete breakdown and complete reemergence. Sometimes it means a redefinition a reorientation. And sometimes it just means a little bit more of a realignment. And all of those are forms of reinvention. Sometimes I like to, to think of it almost like the different facets of, let's say, a gem or a rock or something. Like as you move it, you you sort of notice different facets, especially if it's a, an actual, you know, uh, a gem that's actually created with facets. And it's like, which one do I want to sort of focus in on? What do I need to polish things up? What, what just gets a little bit more playtime at this moment in my life? And then I think that really allows us to make choices to say, it's not like it goes away if we don't use it. It's just a matter of recalling it and pulling it back to the front and giving it a little bit of time to shine. You know, I want to go back to something else you said even before that, when you talked about training for the Alexander Method. First of all, I love the story because, you know, I think when we ask people how they got onto a particular learning journey, there's always like this moment where this insight, you know, you had this moment, like this aha moment. And it's really cool to hear those moments that trigger like this is what I want. I want to learn that too. I want to know that. And so you did this, but you said something really insightful about learning a skill like this, because for you, this became a new baseline to use mm -hmm. your word. You said this became a new baseline for how you approach everything, how you approach your own life, how you help others, all the work you do and all of this. In my journey to reinvention, similar thing. For me, it was mm. a master's in psychology focused on executive coaching. Mm. And when I, when I enrolled in that, I felt it could be something, but I had no idea 
that it would become the thing that has powered everything I have done since I left that program in 2010. So it's been, you know, what year are we in? 23. So 13 years since that program, what I learned there continues to drive what I do today. You know, in fact, even just doing this, being a, a, a podcast host, you know, th like the interviewing skills, all of that, that I learned in that program has helped me here. And so this idea of getting onto this learning journey, finding something that really feels right to you and going after it, maybe even if not everyone is going after that, because no doubt you probably didn't see the masses going after the Alexander technique, but you saw something in the Alexander technique that said, you know what, I have to go, I want this. Mm -hmm. um, for me, you know, going through the master's in psychology, I was doing that on route to becoming a math teacher. I was reinventing myself into a math teacher. So the traditional route should have been to go for a master's in education or to go back and try to get the like certifications or licenses you need to become a teacher. And that just didn't feel right. And I thought when I looked at those curriculums, I'm like, that's not how you transform people in a subject. Like if I'm going to transform math students, like knowing the pedagogy of teaching math is not going to help me as much because, well, one, I already know that part. And two, like that has nothing to do with helping people break through limitations in their, their limiting beliefs and, and confidence barriers and all of those things. I felt that this master's in executive coaching, even though a lot of people said, you're wasting your time, that's not going to help you become a teacher, that's going to, you're going to still have to go back to school and get a master's in education or do something along those lines. I just went with that. And it feels like you did something similar. And we both found a new baseline in our lives that has now powered so much. Can you comment more on that baseline, more on that decision as well? And, you know, how much of that impact did you know at the beginning or not know? Well, I'll say it like this. I had the inkling that there was something to this that I, I really didn't fully understand. And yet I felt very compelled to do more, to learn more. I do have to say that it was also the first point in my life where a couple of, of key things popped into place. And I recognized I was at this really interesting point in my life where there were a lot of conditions in my environment happening that really helped allow me to step into this space. And I think this is something we were going to build into anyway. So maybe this is a good segue. But, you know, I was, I was 18. I was in college. I was being stretched constantly. My, my mind, my world, my awareness, you know, was just constantly being opened up. And I was being asked to try on different versions of identity, really figure out who I was and how I wanted to be in the world. And that space of stretch was really interesting in allowing just more space in my life to even be curious about new things. And then I had some permission. I was really given the opportunity to try new things. There was no shame. There was no judgment. When you're in college, when you're young, when you're trying to figure out, quote, what you want to do with your life, there is this space. People say, try this out. Do th I had this sense of permission to move towards things that I was curious and interested in and about, and it really led me to something else. And then my teacher dropped in this sort of third key piece, which was perspective. I had a completely new perspective dropped into my lap, and I, really that perspective was it can be completely different than the way you've seen life. Your approach to life can totally be different if you choose it. And that is your choice to make. And that was mind-blowing for me. That was mind-blowing for me when I was, you know, 19 years old to think I actually had a choice about anything I wanted to move forward with in my life. And the combination of those three things became so important in allowing me to step into this space and really helped facilitate what it meant to walk into a new change in my life in a way that I could remain open, curious, and really look for opportunities as they continued to arise. Because I didn't know what, what I was going to do with all this. I didn't know this was going to become the foundations of the first book I would write. I had no clue at that time that that's what was being set in place by choosing to follow and just really absorb some of these opportunities that were presented to me. So let, let's let's go into, um, I, and I love the way you already segued us into uh, our second topic that I wanted to talk about. So this is perfect. You're taking my job away. Like, what's going on No, here? no, no. You teed uh, it up perfectly. Uh, I sensed it. And I was thinking, well, we'll, I love move it. It. we'll move there. 
<laughs> I love it. I love it. So let's talk about this. You know, the, these three uh, major areas or these three requirements of sorts for making a successful pivot, making mm-hmm. a successful transformation or change in our lives. Let's go through each of these one by one and kind of just expand on them. So start with the first one. Great. You mentioned stretching. Stretch. Yes. So this is a really, really interesting concept that has arisen out of a few different models. One is a very traditional change management model. And it's this idea that we unfreeze, we sort of change or we move, and then we refreeze into something else, right? But it's very difficult to just tell someone to do something different. (laughs) To go from point A to point Z can feel really, really far. And so I've tried to adopt a new way of thinking about this idea of stretching because we have our comfort zone and then we have our zone of sort of panic. (laughs) We don't want to be in panic. (laughs) We don't want to also stay so far in our comfort zone that we never are interested in, in moving towards anything else. So there's this little space and sometimes it starts off really narrow. But when we get into this space, we can really, just like the word implies, we can strengthen it by practicing what it feels like to stretch. Sometimes the stretch is like, I go there for a second and I come back to what feels comfortable and safe. And then I go into stretch a little bit further and I come back. It's sort of the equivalent of, of the Goldilocks principle, right? Like we don't want things, you know, too big, too small, just right. So we focus on where our zone of stretch is. And in, in order to do that, we've got to recognize two things. It's going to be a little bit uncomfortable. Discomfort is a part of moving away from comfort period. That doesn't mean it's bad. It just means it's different. (laughs) So discomfort is going to be a part of stretching. But we also then need to recognize where our edges are. We've got to figure out how big our space is. And like I said, sometimes it starts off really narrow. Sometimes we are built with the capacity to stretch. I am not one of those people who can go jump off the side of a cliff and scream and enjoy it, you know, or out of a plane. Nothing related to heights or jumping is a good idea for me. That's way, way, way in my panic zone. But what I can do and what I did do at one point is do an outdoor trapeze class. And that really, really brought up some of these triggering moments of saying, I don't know how I feel about being up on this trapeze platform. I'm not really sure I want to let go, but it was uncomfortable enough that it allowed me to move into a different space and it stretched me enough that I developed a completely new capacity for a skill. So being in this place of stretch is super, super important to what it means to move towards change. Because if we stay solidly in this comfort zone, we're never going to be able to, to move into a different space. I like this. So, so let's uh, dig into some of this. You know that you, you said a lot of great things here. One is I like how you just put it into perspective. There's the comfort zone and the panic zone. Mm-hmm. And I love your own story. Jumping out of a plane, that would be your panic zone. Mm-hmm. But the trapeze experience, which is mm-hmm. still involves heights and a lot of those things, felt more like it was in that sweet spot, that middle zone that like, okay, this is my narrowly defined kind of stretch zone that for now works for me. And I think I can do this. I, I love the way you worded that because I think that if we think about what scares us today and maybe something that we all want to do today, whatever it might be, you know, whatever is new to us, whatever's next for us in our journeys, we can start to think, okay, is there a version of that? Maybe right now the reason we're not acting is because the way we've defined it has put it very easily and like deep into our panic zone. So we almost don't stand a chance now because we've defined it as a panic zone activity. Like that's not going to happen. Absolutely. We're just going to keep... We're going to keep wrestling with it, right? Tell You'll us, keep buffering. Uh, on that. Yeah, we'll mm-hmm. keep buffering, right? It's like we get stuck in a little bit of our own loop. But I do think it's important to throw in here, we don't know what we don't know. So it's mm-hmm. really, really important to sort of check to see where the edge is. And if we go towards that edge and we go, uh-oh, that was too far. That was panic. Totally fine. We learned something. Now we back up, we backtrack, and we say, we'll try something, but maybe not so far. Or we'll do something. Yep. And the opposite is true, too. You might step into that space and go, oh, gosh, that was really easy. I actually mm-hmm. enjoyed that. And then say, I think I've got a, a bigger edge than I thought. But yeah. when, we're, when we're not used to this process of sort of feeling out the edges and moving towards mm-hmm. the dif- discomfort, it's yeah. our systems kind of throw this little thing at us like, that's the edge of a cliff. You're going to be off. <laughs> <laughs> it throws us into the, the pre-panic mode, but we have to learn to discern. We have to learn to discern whether or not that's actually what's happening there, mm-hmm. or we're just a little freaked out because we don't know yet. We haven't been there. Yeah. And yeah, there's no shame in that. We just haven't figured mm-hmm. it out yet. 
I, lo I love what you just said about feeling out the edges, because I think mm -hmm. that's a way that anybody listening can visualize what this experience is in, in your context, right? Whatever that thing is. You know, I just went through an experience where I feel like I, I stretched myself where now, and maybe to continue with your metaphor of this, you know, thinking about this comfort zone, this panic zone, it's like, if this is on some sort of line, right? I just shifted the whole thing a little bit more. Like what was stretch is now in the comfort, like comfort moved to stretch. And now I feel like, ooh, that stretch is now part of my comfort. And the panic has gone out a little bit farther out. And for me, it was uh, running my first race. So I ran a 10K, which my wife kind of forced me into. <laughs> uh, she wanted to do it. And she, she well, she signed me up for it. So I was like, I was in. And I never said no because it was so many months away that I was like, I'll just agree for now because why argue something that's coming in like five months? Well, then all of a sudden it was like three weeks away. And she's like, I'm so glad you're going to be doing this. Like, you know, you're sticking, you know, you're sticking to your commitment. And I'm thinking, did I commit? And I guess I did by not, not committing, by, <laughs> by not like taking myself out of it. But it was some running, running races to me was something for me that I always like said, I can't do that. Like, I can't make it that far. Like even a 10 K or something like that, definitely never a half marathon and pff, marathon like that will never be part of my life. <laughs> so that was like jumping out of a plane for me, which is just something I'm not going to do. So, and maybe it's not panic in this case, but it's like a, I don't even believe I can come close to that. So like, right. so like there's a fear of like, why would I approach and waste my time on something that I would never come close to? And so that's where I saw it. But almost a year ago, I joined Orange Theory Fitness. I don't know if you've heard of this chain of gyms. I have. And, and they push you and part of it is treadmill. They do treadmill, rower and weights. And every day, every session you do all three for like about 20 minutes each or so. And sometimes it's half and a half. That through that, They've been pushing us to run like slightly longer distances. Of course, it's only like an hour long class. So you can't do like a long, long run. But they they showed me that, wow, that was interesting. I just went two miles. Like that was like a bigger day of running that we did in that class. And I made it like I didn't die. Like, you know, and they, they even pushed us at times and said, now go into your push speed. Now go into your all out speed. And And those little things were stretching me. That was a stretch. I felt the stretch because I felt the the discomfort of going the into physical those muscle zones. stretch. Yes. Yeah, the physical. Yeah, yes, the absolutely. physical muscle. Absolutely. And and I almost by you said something earlier. You said that we got to learn to practice these things. You know, if we can practice this stuff, we become better at getting to know how to do this. And practice for me was keeping a membership at Orange Theory mm -hmm. and going every single week you know, no matter how I felt like, and, and what made me do it was the money you spend to do it. Cause it's not that cheap. And then you, if you don't use your sessions for the month, you lose them. Like you still pay whatever. I love There's that. No rollover. I love that. That's so great. And I want to just distill this into something that has definitely come up for me recently in some, you know, mentoring circles that I'm in is what happens if we just take no off the table? What happens if you take no off the table? And again, you don't have to be in your panic zone. You don't have to say, yeah. we're not going to not jump out of, out of a plane, to use that analogy, or now go run a marathon. But, but you just gave a great example of that to say, like, what if I just didn't give myself the option to not, to at least not try? And you may decide it's not the right thing for you, but you tried. It's great. You learned something. And I guarantee your baseline shifted. Because you wouldn't oh, go absolutely. into one of these situations saying, oh, I could never. You don't, yeah. we don't know. And there yeah. is no shame in trying and deciding it's not the right thing for you. I really have a thing. I'm, I'm really working around it in my brain. But, you know, this whole idea that we can't quit, right? You can't quit something. And I don't know how I feel about that. Because I think there's an aspect of saying, if I really don't think this is for me in whatever aspect, Am I doing myself a service by sticking with it just to say I stuck with it or for somebody else? Or is it better to honor what I know is true in my system or in my with my goals and that aligns with my values might be to walk away. It might not be the easier choice, but I do think it's important that we don't automatically put ourselves in that category of I'm either never going to do it or I'm stuck doing this until I die because I made a choice once. We always have the ability to make different choices. That's a great point. I, I mean, I feel like I, as I went into those classes, I, I was enjoying it. I, mm -hmm. I didn't. I didn't not like, you know, um, uh, Orange Theory Fitness. I, I wouldn't say I 
loved it at the beginning it took uh, you know you have to go through some of that discomfort to your point if you're going to be in the stretch zone there's got like you said there's got to be a part of discomfort in there otherwise it's not a stretch so there was definitely discomfort but over time i just started falling in love with that and i go wow i really like this and then it culminated into this moment uh last weekend on sunday where I ran this race, this 10K, my first ever 10K or Amazing. any K race. And, <laughs> any and, K race. <laughs> and, yeah, any K. I don't really care what it is. And it was, and it was just such an incredible experience. And it was another stretch because since I had never done it, so what I re- didn't realize, and now hearing what you have taught us, my baseline shifted, my 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 comfort zone went into the orange theory zone. And now I was much closer to the 10K than I thought possible. And then for me, the 10K was a, was a new stretch. It was no longer in the panic or the I'll never be able to do that zone. It was in the stretch zone. And I felt like, well, you know, I do all this Orange Theory stuff and, and I do, I've done the two miles in the class. So that's a third-ish of it, almost a third of a 10K. So I should be able to get somewhat close. I gotta, I I said to myself, I gotta at least be able to finish this. And Mm -hmm. I think that's a result of shifting the entire, that whole space. Absolutely. Comfort and panic over. And well, in the end, I was able to make it to the finish line. And now a 10K is, I wouldn't say completely deep in the comfort zone, but it is definitely at the inside edge, to use your terms, of the, of the, of the stretch zone. zone. Yeah, the stretch comfort zone. Oh, yeah, comfort. yeah. Well, no, no, now it's comfort. Oh, the comfort zone. Oh, well, it, hey. It's on the in, but, but, just the in, <laughs> but just the inside edge of comfort zone, not like deep in the comfort zone. It's it's just right at the inside edge where your toes get wet and you know, like it, it's the ocean. It's like my toes are getting wet, but hey, it's there now. And that used to be like way out like somewhere that I just could not imagine even getting close to. And I yeah. love the way you've explained this because I didn't even think about my own experience sure. through this framework. And now I'm seeing like, wow, how many times can I apply this? And anybody listening, we can apply this so intentionally. We can say to ourselves, totally. what right now is making me panic? And maybe I just got to reimagine it or redefine it. Instead of a marathon, maybe it's a 10K or maybe it's an Orange Theory fitness class. Mm-hmm. Like what's the Orange Theory fitness class of my challenge? Mm, I love that. And I absolutely love the way you've been talking about this story because it it leads into the other two aspects of this, permission and perspective. And you've already you've already displayed them. So I just want to actually pull those out of please some do, of the things please do. you've said because I think the stretch is a huge piece of it. And it it is literally, I, I always encourage people to think of it like when you're trying to strengthen muscles, right? You have these periods where your muscles will shake. Your muscles will actually tell you, whoa, this is so crazy. I don't know if I can do this. And sometimes we do have to go through these periods in order to to really reach different metrics and baselines in our system. But you're also employing, the way you were talking about this, was this idea of you gave yourself permission, you were giving yourself permission for things to not work out or look different or be okay if something else. And I refer to this aspect of permission like climbing a ladder. Like you don't start at zero and end up at the top of the ladder tomorrow. You've got to take it rung by rung. And sometimes that means you go down a rung and then up two and then down. And sometimes you have a big, you know, you can climb a couple rungs at a time if something is really great. But it's a process. And as the permission increases, we stretch more. And then as we need to employ other things, this comes into play. And perspective is the third aspect. You were talking about this. I talk about the lens of perspective, zooming in, zooming out, zooming in, zooming out. 10K, look at it from the zoomed in perspective. It's 10K. I've never done this before. How am I going to handle it? Zoom out. It's not a marathon. I've already run 2K. I know I can do this. It's just this process. And as we utilize these three skills and tools, it allows us to move towards change, towards things that are different, towards things we haven't yet experienced. And like I said, they sort of work like like levers we can exercise, right? We can stretch a little bit more, give ourselves a little permission, shift our perspective. That helps us stretch a little more. That helps us give a little bit more permission. When permission doesn't seem as easy, maybe we need to zoom in, look a little bit deeper at the perspective that we're utilizing. And as we utilize these skills and tools in uh, kind of a continuum together, it just creates this 
cool, amorphous way of looking at something. And honestly, when I was first writing about this topic, about how to how to change, how to move from one step to the next, I was looking for the answer, the recipe, the zone, the we need something that's just as flexible as we are. We need tools that are flexible and we need an outlook that's flexible. So for me, I was looking for the really, really tight way to describe and look at all these things, but I realized it's not. It's all about the relationships. It's all about the relationships and it's all about viewing this for what it is, which is a giant creative process. Our life is a giant creative process, just like change. And the more we utilize these skills and tools, the more it lets us dig in to the extent we choose. And again, it's all about us, all about what we choose. There's no judgment. There's no shame. We can get rid of all that stuff and just say, this is what I wanted to do. This is what I choose. Claim it, move towards it and see what happens next. Yeah, you know, it's great what you said about like, you know, this is something I want to do because, you know, the running thing, maybe someone could argue, oh, but somebody else made you do it. Yes, perhaps somebody made me sign up to the 10K or just signed me up for the 10K. However, that said, I did have a curiosity. Like I wanted to, like I wanted to be able to do these things. I just felt it was so far away from stretch. So in the impossible zone, in the panic zone that I just couldn't do it. But there was a part of me that did want to do it, was curious about how. So I think that's so right that because let's say it was something that I just didn't care for, you know, like to your point earlier, it's okay. Look, if this is not, if you're not enjoying this, that's not a stretch zone that's worth probably pursuing. If it's just not something that's even a worthwhile stretch for you. Because I think that's another key is that it's got to be something that is perhaps aligned with maybe some of your passions or purpose or existing values or interests, even at the very least. And if it's not, that's okay. Like there's nothing wrong with quitting if it's just not meaningful to you. I mean, what's what's the point of doing a bunch of things that are not meaningful to us over and over and over again? Like, you know, that's, that's not going to help us, especially Absolutely. if we're taking on a project in our lives. Those we have choice over projects. I may not have a choice over a particular job for a period of my life. Maybe that was the job that I got accepted for, and it's the one I have to take because it's the one that was available. Okay. But when it comes to projects, I get to choose those. Like those are things that I get to choose in my life, such as going to Orange Theory or running a 10K. And yeah, it was it was something I was interested in. So it was a meaningful Totally. Stretch. And I also just want to normalize the fact that sometimes permission comes from the outside. Sometimes somebody Mm. else gives us permission to step into an area of our lives that we may not know we're capable of. And Mm -hmm. ultimately, that's a great thing. I mean, your hands weren't tied behind your back and it said run a 10K or else this. You you weren't forced to do it. You were invited. You were invited into a situation that you could Mm -hmm. then choose how to approach. And again, you could have decided it was not right for you, but I think that even speaks to another aspect is it's not always about looking at me and saying, hey, Lisa, what do I want to do today? Sometimes it's about saying somebody else just invited me in and gave me some pretty solid permission or perhaps some perspective to say, oh, you can totally do this. And sometimes I'm sitting on the other end going, oh, I don't think I can do that. But the truth of the matter is I just haven't, I haven't given myself permission to try. So what happens if I get that third party, when I get that from somebody else on the outside, all of a sudden I am already resourced under me. I've got all of this stuff going, okay, I do have a little permission. I do have, I, I didn't see myself like that. Maybe I can. And then it makes it that much easier to step forward yeah. into something that we don't know. That's, that's, that's very interesting because yeah, that's exactly what happened in my case. You know, my wife was truly inviting me in the end. (laughs) Mm -hmm. She did it by signing me up, but that was an invitation and she was encouraging me. She believed I could do this. She's like, I know you can do this. I know that you are fully capable of doing this. You just have to do it. You have to just choose to do it and stick through it. And I know you can do this. Mm -hmm. This is within the realm of your possibility. Even if you don't see it, she's like, I see it. And and she really believed it. And it's interesting because when we went into the race, as we were driving there, I was, I had already been predicting this for a week, but I told her, you know, like I will, I'm going to estimate if that I'll probably finish in about 90 minutes because I figured I'd be walking parts of it is what I assumed in my mind guaranteed I'll be walking parts of it. And so I will probably finish in about 90 minutes. And I told her, you know, you'll probably make it in an hour or probably less or something like that. Just don't leave without me. And and I even hung on to the car keys. I'm like, well, I'll run with the car keys. That way I know no one can leave without me. And so in her mind, she was like, no, he's going to finish in, he's going to finish in an hour and maybe even under an hour. 
And she really believed that. And she, you know, she didn't even say that. Like, she didn't say it to, like, set this, like, standard that I had to meet her. She just believed that I'll do it. And I made it. And she she did it in 57. I arrived in uh, 57 and change. I arrived in 59 and change. Mm. And and she was like, do you know what you just did? Because the results come in through a text. You did it in un- 22 seconds under an hour. How amazing. She's like, I, I never doubted you were going to take I, I'm like 90 minutes. That was it. Like, I never believed because she felt like she goes, I had a feeling that you would never allow yourself to walk for that long, even if you did mm. have to walk for like a few seconds or maybe 10 to 20 seconds, you'd probably just say, no, I got to keep going. And I, and I know this about you, you were going to find the way and you did. And she was right. I did mm. in those moments, everything she believed about me was so true. She was, I, I, I just couldn't, I didn't want to let myself walk for that long. And so I love what you said about permission. And then of course the perspective also going into the, in, into the experience itself, you know, um, what 10 K looked like zooming in by actually running it versus like this idea well it's not a it's not a marathon either by zooming out this is a doable thing like come on i could i could stretch into this and i see this applied to projects because projects can be this exactly this right we can decide i'm going to stretch myself what's panic what's stretch let's design it with intention to be in the stretch zone Two, then give myself permission. Or maybe it's someone encouraging me, a a dear friend, a loved one, someone who's been telling me, I know you could do this. Give it a try. Give it a shot. I got your back. And that's what the author journey was for us because we went through, we joined an author community where we all gave each other permission to write our books. Like Mm -hmm. all of us were constantly doing that. And I thought that, well, that's really interesting how it, and also if it was even close to panic, I feel like just being together in this group it didn't feel as panicky like when you're with a bunch of other people, you know? If- totally, totally. So I just I just want to reinforce because what you're saying is so, so, so valuable because it, yes, your your story of running is is an awesome one, but don't don't forget to look around your world for those little, little, you know, things that exist, those little invitations that exist out there. Because this could be in your job. This could be when you're looking for a new job. This could be when you're trying to figure out what your next step is. And someone just makes an offhanded comment like that. That can really allow you to say, oh, I never thought about that. Or I never considered that for my next step. And how does that look? So shout out, right, to the communities we have around us, whether their partners, whether they're family and friends, whether it's just business mentors, or gosh, somebody completely unknown to you until you have that one interaction that changes something, right? Which is what we talked about in the beginning is that every interaction we have changes us in some way. And we can, we can sort of choose to step into that, step into it and let it stretch us for as, as much as we're interested in doing. And again, it just creates more and more opportunity for us to see things differently, take advantage of things differently and remind ourselves that it really is a choice we can make. I think that's the most powerful thing is we can choose our lives. Choosing to choose is Mm -hmm. an amazing gift that we have. And we can tap into that and step into that space anytime we want. Absolutely. I love it. So I want to close that segment of the conversation. And this next thing that we're going to talk about, you know, we just need a few minutes for this, but Mm -hmm. I really want you to comment on this because this is something that came out in our prep call. And I think this is really important for anybody who might be considering a new project, something that might stretch themselves and, Mm -hmm. and, and how to create the space for that. And so what, what we talked about on our prep call that you said was that the book writing process Mm -hmm. taught you not to live totally full and at capacity at all times, but instead to leave a little room for things like a book project or (laughs) some other stretch opportunity, perhaps. Talk about that because that is, there's a lot there. And and it's such a big, (laughs) it's such a big idea, but I feel like, look, if we're going to do this thing that you just taught us, Mm -hmm. we need to have, we need to make sure that our lives are that there's room for this. Tell us a little bit about that. Absolutely. Thanks for bringing that up. And yeah, this is this is something that I think is really important um, for us all to look at is back to the baseline idea, right? Where where do you live? Where is your habit of living? And for me, this this analogy of like how full is your cup at any given point? And we go through periods of time in our lives. You know, I have so many friends who are in the raising young children phase. 
present company included, (laughs) where sometimes there are things in your lives that just really, really fill your cup. And you've got to just go through life precariously balancing so you're not spilling at all times. And that's okay. That's great. It's so important to recognize. But some people don't know that's where they are. And so when we can start to recognize how full our cup is, we can then really take some some sovereignty back and just sort of be like, is this what I want to be doing? How can I create a little bit more space in my life? And I like to view it as this idea of never quite being totally filled up. So I always leave room for a little bit of something unexpected. Another way I like to look at it is, you know, a lot of times we're looking for the next open door, right? You know, things like that. But sometimes we forget to notice that a window might be cracked open or we feel a nice breeze coming from this or we can create a skylight if we need a little bit more light but actually don't want to walk through a new doorway. You know, there are all sorts of different ways to view this idea of how space can be created to carve out something new. And it's tempting to think that we are sort of only we're capped right? We hit a certain Mm -hmm. point and we've done all we can do and we've done all the career shit. There's always space for more. There's always space for more. And I think that's such an awesome and empowering thing. Essentially what you're saying that it's it's okay not to know what comes next. Mm -hmm. Um, And that, you know, it, it allows you to leave room for what is possible. This idea of leaving room for what's possible by not always knowing what's next, you know, I think I I learned about this idea as well through um, in my research for my book, in the research for my book, there was a project called the Dark Horse Project, and it was aiming to understand career uh, paths Mm. and how how are they? What do they actually look like? Are they a straight line like we all assume that they are? Because most of us assume that careers, the successful ones especially, are straight line paths, right? That you'll always know what's next. You can always answer the question, you know, how, where, what do you see yourself doing in the next five years, 10 years? Well, of course, if you know what path you're on, you can answer the five-year mark, the 10-year mark, the 15-year mark, because you know the path. But when this Dark Horse project, which I think is at, uh, done at, a, at Harvard University, asked a question to a lot of successful people and researched people who have had quite the careers, and they asked them about that path, they go, well, when you zoom out, it looks like a nice straight line and, you know, curving or, or going, you know, up and to the right and all of that. However, when you zoom in, you see all these zigzags, mm-hmm. you know, it's, it's like the stock market. If you zoom out on the last like 50 years, it looks like a nice curve that goes up. But when you zoom into it, man, there are a lot of hiccups in there. There's, mm-hmm. a, there's great ups, there's some bad downs and, you know, it happens. And that's what most careers actually look like. Most successful careers actually have that. But then when they ask people about those moments, they ask them like, how did you navigate those twists and turns along the journey? They said, well, it wasn't so much navigating the twists and turns. It was simply going like the only thing that mattered was the next thing I was going after. Like I just, you know, looked around and what felt right I went for that. I didn't worry so much that this next thing has to be this thing only. No, like to to use your metaphor, that it has to be the door. No, they left room open for the window, for the skylight, for the crack here, the crack there, whatever it might be. And they're like, you know, it could be that. But that's the only thing that mattered. So, you know, and and I thought that was really interesting because when I think about my own journey and I imagine like as, you know, your journey when you were navigating it as well, it was only about what was next and what felt right with for you and, and keeping those possibilities open. But then just saying, look, I'm going to worry about this. I'm not going to think about the next three moves after this. Absolutely. I'm going to do this really well. Absolutely. And honestly, had I had the, what are you see your, where do you see yourself in five years conversation at each of these points, it would have been hilariously different conversations. And I think that's the other thing to remember. We're not sitting down with a judge and jury every five years checking in on that. This is a question that helps us gauge whether we're on the same page, whether it's a good value and opportunity fit, right? That's an yeah. important question for saying, do we see ourselves on the same path in general speaking, but this isn't like someone's going to come back and say, well, three years ago and you're, where do you see yourself in five years? You said this, so you're not allowed to move to this space in your career. It's constantly shifting. Yeah. And it's one of the reasons I ended up landing on the title of embracing the unknown, because it's not necessarily about, you know, like how to face change or any of these things. It's really about this idea of embracing, which I think is an important word. I chose it very carefully to say like, what does it mean to say yes? What does it mean to say yes to things we don't know? And really trust that it all is going to be a fit 
if we are true to ourselves and we stick to what we know will help us move forward. And I think that's really ultimately the goal, right? It's to help us all move forward in the ways that allow us to become the next version of who we want to be. That is the perfect stopping point for this conversation. (laughs) This conversation was jam-packed with so many great insights uh, from your journey, from what you teach in the book, and what you've learned on your own journey going through these pivots, uh, these twists and turns along your own career. Thank you so much for sharing this. For those listening in, all of the links will be found in the show notes, so you'll be able to follow Lisa. You'll be able to go to her website and learn more about her book. And of course, you'll be able to go buy her book. (laughs) I think this is going to be a great book for anybody who is considering such a journey because this idea of embracing the unknown, as she just said, which I'm not going to try to say that again, because that was said way perfectly, (laughs) is such an important part of navigating these changes. And so let the book do the rest of the talking there, but you'll find all of the links below. Lisa, thank you again so much for your time, for your insights, for your wisdom and sharing all of this with us. I really appreciate this. Thank you, Roger. Thank you for listening to this episode of the School of Reinvention podcast. Again, I'm your host, Roger Osorio. If you're ready to start your journey to reinvention and want to walk the path with others, visit www.rogerosorio.com and go to the School of Reinvention to check out for yourself how a community-based coaching platform can help you begin your next reinvention. You can also go to rogerosorio.com to purchase my new book, The Journey to Reinvention, and receive some exciting bonuses. Until next time, make your day great.